The following message is entitled, Stroking Out on Grace. This message was given during the morning service on June 19, 2022 at the Eastside Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois by Pastor John Stevens. As we return in one of the middle Sundays of the month today to 1 Timothy chapter 1, the sermon title is Stroking Out on Grace. No, that's not a typo. It's not to say striking out, it is stroking out. And this morning, to introduce this ongoing study of grace, I want to teach you a moment from American history of a pianist who was dying to stroke the keys. Simon Barui, that's how you pronounce his name, Simon Barui was one of the most renowned concert pianists in the world in the 1940s. So it was a big deal when the Philharmonic Orchestra of Philadelphia booked him as a featured musician in 1951. For the first few minutes of the concerto, they performed together, they being Barui and the orchestra, as a duet together in this concerto. And Barui's playing was masterful. But then his tempo slowed. And he started playing wrong notes. When he stopped playing altogether, he then slumped forward, his head smashed into the piano's keyboard on his way to the floor. Shock resounded through the thousand that were there. And there was a doctor close by in the house who rushed up and had men carry Barui backstage where this doctor worked on him for 30 minutes to revive him. Unfortunately, he couldn't revive the only 54-year-old piano master. It was later determined he'd been felled by a massive stroke as he was stroking the keys. It was a shock to everyone there and to the music world. A master cut down in his prime. In your note sheet, number one, the true masters of the world are born-again Christians. The true masters of the world are born-again Christians. Just in case you think that's not appropriate to call born-again Christians the masters of the world, I will remind you of Matthew 5.5 that says, The meek shall inherit the earth. We are the masters of the world. Not right now, but we will be. The rulers under Christ. Born-again Christians alone on this planet know how to perform the Christian life. Quote-unquote perform, like Barui was performing on stage. He knew what to do with the piano, and we know what to do in the Christian life as Christians. Born-again Christians alone have the Spirit empowering them unto holiness. Born-again Christians alone act and live above the rest of the world due to God's power and grace. Born-again Christians alone live forever. But then a sudden stroke occurs. It's an odd thing. As your note sheet says, number two, stroking out in the Christian life. Sadly, just as Barui stroked out in the middle of his brilliant concert, so too most Christians are cut down by a spiritual stroke that stops them dead in their tracks. That spiritual stroke is caused by a Christian not walking and living the Christian life in grace. You can write that under number two. The spiritual stroke for believers is not walking in grace. That causes a spiritual stroke. Number three. The two grace stroke killers for the Christian life are legalism and licentiousness. 
two gray stroke killers for the Christian are legalism and licentiousness. And those grace negators spiritually kill off the believer very fast. And those grace negators spiritually kill off the believer very fast. Legalism and licentiousness do not make the believer lose their salvation. They practically shipwreck them. Paul warned of individuals in First and Second Timothy who were Christians who were shipwrecked. It is possible to shipwreck your Christian life as a true believer. Last month, I taught you extensively on what legalism and licentiousness is, so I'm not going to repeat that. We studied those evil philosophies last month. You only have three options as a Christian. Just three. You walk by grace, you walk by legalism, or you'll walk by licentiousness. Everyone in this room is a believer. Walks by one of those three. You can't walk by grace and legalism. You can't walk by grace and licentiousness. It's either or, grace or those other two. And as we learned, you can actually walk by legalism and licentiousness at the same time. In fact, legalism leads to licentiousness. I call that the massive stroke killer when a Christian is in legalism and licentiousness at the same time. No local church can function properly for the cause of Christ unless the believers in those churches individually are walking in grace. Yet sadly, the track record of Christians actually walking by grace from the time of the New Testament until today is a very poor one. How do I know this? Well, I've spent some time over 35 years examining the New Testament churches. So have you. Most of the churches in the New Testament were horrible examples of living by grace. You could take the seven churches of Revelation, just those seven. Only two weren't basically shipwrecked. Only two out of the seven. Most of the New Testament churches live by legalism or licentiousness. In fact, there's only two that we could say were pretty good. Besides the two in the Revelation, seven churches, besides those two, Sardis and the Philadelphia church, besides those two, only two others were any good, really, in the New Testament. Philadelphian church, but they had problems. And the Thessalonian church, that's it. Most then lived by legalism or licentiousness, and that's the same today. Most professed believers rarely live by grace. You've got to think to yourself, how is that possible? How does one start off receiving Christ as salvation by grace and then slide ever so inevitably back into one's former manner of life that one was living before conversion? How does one start off converted by grace and then once again crash back into a life of legalism and licentiousness? can write this down under number three. It's easy to revert. All you have to do is stroke out. It's easy to revert. It is easy to become a legalist and licentious Christian. It is. Or it wouldn't have happened in the majority of professed believers in the New Testament or today. It's got to be easy, otherwise it wouldn't be happening so much. And when a believer spiritually strokes out on legalism and licentiousness, he dies spiritually very, very quickly. Any Christian who dives into legalism within days and weeks is gone. Same with licentiousness. It's like a physical stroke. It shipwrecks quickly. We all struggle at times with legalism and licentiousness, and we repent quickly of it if we're godly. But our churches are made up of hosts of Christians who are blind to their legalism and licentiousness. They're already walking dead. Their head already hit the keys, and they're already lying on the floor. 
It's a spiritual death to give over to legalism and licentiousness from which no spiritual doctor on earth can resuscitate. Reverting as a believer from saved by grace, walking by legalism or licentiousness, uh, reverting back to that type of lifestyle as a believer, back to the two L's, legalism and licentiousness, it's usually a one-way ticket. I have never experienced anyone who's abandoned themselves to legalism and licentiousness as a believer who's ever repented of that. I've never known anyone like that. Because blindness goes with the reverting to legalism and licentiousness. Now Paul here in 1 Timothy chapter 1 is slamming this issue home right at the start. There's a reason why after the introductions he starts off after the word faith in verse 2, my true child in the faith, he starts off with grace, mercy, and peace. Faith colon in the English, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul, he's teaching us right out of the gate in this first of these three pastoral epistles that if Christians or church leaders or local churches are to function masterfully, then they can only do it by these tri-power virtues in verse 2 of grace, mercy, and peace. And this is our middle Sunday of the month series, a verse-by-verse study of 1 Timothy that teaches us the kind of church God wants. And he wants churches made up of believers who live by grace first and foremost. You do know how hard it is for Christians to find a good church these days, right? Why is it so hard for true believers to find a local church that is biblical? It's this in verse 2. Because churches, and thus the believers who make up the churches, are not following God's word on this subject. And the churches are thus not the churches that God wants, which is the title of the series at the top of your note sheet, the kind of church God wants. Nor are the believers in those churches the Christians that God wants. Christians easily yield to their sin natures without repentance. And the less you repent, the more blind you become to your sin. Thus, stroking out on legalism and licentiousness. Being blind to it until they tip over and hit the floor. Destroyed by their own sin choices. My brother, who's, uh, I believe, ten years older than me, uh, last year, the year before, had a stroke. It was probably in the same area that my dad had a stroke. It's at the base of the skull. And uh, in his 70s. And... uh, the doctor told him that it was 50-50 on whether he'd survive that type of stroke. He was like riding an exercise bike for three hours to lose weight before he stroked. Three hours? Three hours? Boom! doesn't take much to stroke. It happens fast. doesn't take much to stroke spiritually. It happens very fast. You would think we'd be worried about this. Concerned, right? Philippians 2 says, with fear and trembling work out your salvation. Why fear and trembling? Because sin is such a great enemy. Such a great enemy. You know this. Look at Hebrews 12. The Bible warns us on this as believers. The war didn't end at conversion. It just began. Christians act, by and large, today. Like the war ended at salvation. I'm going to heaven, so that's it. I'm fine. But look at verse 4 of Hebrews 12. The Bible says otherwise. But, of course, legalistic and licentious Christians always live by the mantra, what's the problem? Everything's fine. I've had Christians tell me that in counseling. What's the problem? Everything's fine. I'm saved. That's all that matters. Well, it is not all that matters because verse 4, as we've looked at many times, says you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. Why would he say that? In Hebrews 12, 4, why does he say to these Hebrews believers that you have not resisted to the point of shedding the blood and you're striving against sin? Because look at verse 5. They've forgotten the exhortation. They're not listening Verse 5 tells us, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. They were under discipline and lightly taking it. 
He's telling them they're under discipline in verse 6. Those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. They forget. They're not seeing it. They're not warring against sin in verse 4. The reason Christians stroke out on legalism and licentiousness is because they take sin lightly. They don't question their own minds. They trust their own thinking. I see few Christians warring against sin these days. I don't hear that. I don't hear it being taught. I don't see that. Now in your note sheet, how did we get to this point? Let's look at the outline. First chapter, verses 1 to 20, is God wants teachers who are pure in doctrine, true teachers in pure doctrine. He's going to start the process of confronting in verse 3. First confronts Timothy, then the rest of us. It doesn't take him long after verse 2 to start nailing Timothy. And we looked at Timothy and saw that he had nine major sin areas in his life that were not good, and Paul starts confronting them in verse 3. We studied that. That's under Roman numeral 1, letters A and B. And then we started this great trilogy, Empowering God's Servants, in verse 2, Grace, Mercy, and Peace. And the first tri-power of God's um, enabling grace and uh, enabling power and sanctification is grace and that's where we've been stuck last month for a few sermons and then today again if you see what we've looked at so far on grace this is a study I could certainly spend the rest of my pastoral career on and ministry on but I'm just basically hitting the mountain peaks grace divine we studied that grace is unconditional and undeserved power offered to hellbound sinners to save and transform them into holiness. We looked at that. That's a definition. Then I reminded you that grace works in four areas, the foundations. You can write them down again on that line if you want. They all start with the letter S, as in Sierra, if you know your phonetical alphabet. Salvation, sanctification, service and safety salvation sanctification service and safety grace empowers us to be saved grace is necessary to be sanctified grace empowers us to serve when christians say i could never do that in some kind of service they're not living by grace and of course as we saw in first peter 1 3 to 5 grace on Sunday nights, is the power of protection or safety unto heaven. Those are the foundations. The last two sermons, we've been looking at grace negators, the grace killers of legalism and licentiousness. Of does not mean the killers kill those. The killers are legalism and licentiousness. So that should read, in case you're confused, the grace killers which are the of is defined as which are legalism and licentiousness. Now today we come to the grace duet. This is as practical as I can get. What grace living really looks like. How would I know, John, if I'm living by grace? Well, that's a good question. A Christian has to have both parts of the grace duet. Remember the duet with Berui? He and the concert, Philadelphia concert. They worked together, and what stopped that duet between the Philadelphia Philharmonic and Berui? He stroked out. The concert stopped. You have to have both parts for the concerto. You had to have the Philharmonic, and you had to have the pianist, master, Berui. And that's true here. You can't walk by grace unless the duet are in place. So what are the grace duet parts? Let's write them in. Part one. Trust. God's grace alone by faith alone. That's part one. That's walking by grace. Trust God's grace alone by faith alone. Legalists don't do that. Licentious Christians don't do that. Trust God's grace alone by faith alone. Legalists and licentious Christians have no trust in God. They shipwreck for a number of reasons. They don't trust. They don't have faith. They can't live the Christian life in faith in God. So trust God's grace alone by faith alone, comma, to empower one to be holy. To empower one to be holy. You say, my, that's a long line for one word. Yeah, well, I goofed. To empower one to be holy while striving against sin. 
while striving against sin in obedience to God's word. That's the first part. That's what we've already learned. I've taught you that. We walk by grace as we were saved. We were saved by grace through faith. It's faith obeying the word of God. In case you're confused, the great chorus of this first part of the duet is very plain. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. We, we have faith, we obey. The Israelites had faith, put their feet in the water, and God parted the waves. We trust and we act. We trust and we study. We trust and we pray. This is the part of the grace duet we finished last month. Part number two is what we're learning today. And this is really the practical evidence that grace is working in your life. Part two that is necessary. Love. On the back side of your note sheet, love is the outworking of trust and obedience. You know you're trusting by faith and walking in obedience to the word if you are loving. Love is the outwork of trust and obedience. Love for Christ, love for others. Now, everybody thinks that they're loving. I never heard a Christian once. I've never gone up to a Christian publicly, personally, in counseling and said, how's your Christian life? Oh, I hate everybody. But I've had, I have confronted various hateful Christians over the years and said, you're just a hateful individual, paraphrasing, and they'll say, oh, no, I love people. Everybody thinks they're loving. How does the United States Treasury train individuals on counterfeit money? They teach them what the original product is, and then they're able to see counterfeits if they know the original money, what it looks like. We're doing the opposite. In the Christian life, it is easier to know if you're loving by seeing what lack of love looks like. And we'll get to that after the three texts we look at in your note sheet. It's much easier to tell if you're unloving by looking at the evidences of being unloving. We'll get to that in a moment. What we're talking about under this duet then, before we get to the three texts, right on the blank lines, is unconditional love. Unconditional means I love you no matter what you say, do, or think. And I demonstrate that love, and it's love from the heart. It's unconditional, and it's from the heart. But it works out in the life and actions. If we're grace living, we're loving. But remember, you can't be loving if you aren't in faith walking, empowered by a massive study and obedience of the Word of God. That was part one. The orchestra and the pianist have to work together. You can't have part two without part one. And if you're doing part one, you'll be doing part two. So if one is unloving, they're not trusting God's grace alone by faith alone. These are symbiotically joined. It's love for Christ, love for others. And without love, grace strokes out rapidly. Christians who are unloving are devastating to churches. So we can judge ourselves and others as to whether grace is working in our lives or not. It's very simple. If it is not working in our lives, then we have stroked out from legalism, and, or we have stroked out from licentiousness, or we've had a massive stroke combining them both. And the nine points at the bottom of your note sheet on the back are evidences of a massive Christian stroke spiritually. A stroke that has driven a Christian into legalism and licentiousness. No legalist is loving. No licentious person is loving. This is obvious, right? Someone given over to legalists doesn't love anybody, and someone who's given over to licentiousness doesn't love anyone. Is grace outworked in love, really, John? Well, let's see. I only chose three passages. There's a host of them. But let's make sure, biblically, that... that Grace is outworking in your life makes you loving. So, by the way, then it's really easy to tell if someone's not walking by grace in our church or any church, right? Very easy. How would you know that a person's not walking by grace? If they are what? Unloving. Well, what does that look like? Well, there's nine evidences of being unloving. Very easy to see. It is not hard in any local church to see if someone is loving or unloving. Very easy. Let's make sure this is true, that grace works out in love. Therefore, if someone is unloving, they're not walking by grace. If they're not walking by grace, they're walking by what? Legalism or and licentiousness. The only three options in your Christian life. Galatians 5, 6. Write that one down. 
This is an extraordinary verse. We've seen it already, but this is incredible. Absolutely incredible. The entire Christian life is defined by four words. I can't do that. <laughs> the man who has such and such sermon series, part 41. Galatians chapter 5, look at verse 5. For we through the Spirit, we who are growing believers, we through the Spirit by faith. Notice the Spirit only works through faith. Christian who's not faithful is not trusting God for the issues of life, is not empowered by the Spirit. Okay, are we clear on that? Galatians 5 5. We through the Spirit by faith. So the Spirit only saves by faith, and the Spirit only sanctifies by faith. And that's why godly Christians like Paul are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Now look at verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. He's saying the law can't do anything anything. Legalism can't make you godly. Old Testament laws that are no longer enforced cannot make you godly. They are nothing. They mean nothing. Means nothing is one ver verb in school in the Greek. It means has no strength. So legalism has no power. And here it is. Four words. Faith working through, there's the duet. That's your note sheet, part one on the front side. You've got to walk by faith. Part two of the duet, you'll manifest through love. Faith works through love. You can't get it any simpler than that, right? That's the Christian life, faith working through love. So if I'm not walking by faith, I'm going to manifest these nine unloving character qualities, which means I'm not walking in love. I don't trust God for my life. I'm not loving. If I'm not loving, I don't trust God. Passage number two is our actually our last Sunday of the month series, which we'll pick up next Sunday, which I haven't been in for a while. Titus chapter two. I'm teaching you the marks of godliness. So let's go back to first and second Timothy. Go to the third pastoral epistle. I don't want to steal thunder from that series, so I'm going to make this very quick. Just I'm proving to you that grace works out through love. I mean, we're all seeing that. We need to know that this is biblical, right? Okay. Titus 2.12. Grace, verse 11, has appeared instructing us, verse 12, to deny ungodliness. So grace of God, in verse 11, is to work in the believer. Titus 2.12. Grace of God, verse 11, Bring salvation in 11, then in verse 12, what we're looking at are the marks of godliness for a believer, instructing us, verse 12, that's believers, instructing us. Grace instructs us to be sanctified, verse 12. You see that? Grace sanctifies. You've got to be walking by grace to be sanctified. You see that in verse 12? Y'all clear on that? All right, that's one, the rest abstaining. Chapter 3, chapter 3, motion carries. Look at verse 4 of chapter 3. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. Chapter 3, verse 4. And his love for mankind appeared. Put your little finger, your fat little stubby finger on verse 4. And go back to chapter 2, verse 11. The grace of God, verse 11 of chapter 2, has appeared. So put your finger on 2.11. Grace of God has appeared. Put your finger on 3.4. His love for mankind appeared. They're synonymous terms. If you're walking by grace, you're walking by love, right? Okay. Passage number three, the tour de force passage. Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians chapter three. He speaks in verse 13. Of suffering. It's part and parcel of the Christian life, as we'll find out tonight. You can't avoid suffering. You can't run from suffering. It's impossible. We're to man up and woman up on the suffering in our lives and endure. As we'll learn tonight, the process, God's will for us is to endure suffering, not run from it. Uh, Titus, or Ephesians, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13, then, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. He's saying, my suffering is God's will. That's true for us. Ephesians 3, verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant 
you. See that word grant? That's one of the words for gift. Ditto me. It's synonymous with grace. Grace is charis, an unconditional gift of grace. Grace and grant are synonymous terms in verse 16. So we believe that we are to walk by grace because he grants you, according to his riches of glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit. You can't and I can't grow with power except through this granting. Trusting the gift. Verse 16. And the gift of power is in the inner man. That's where you always look first to see if you're walking in the, the gift, the grace, or the grant. He's talking to believers how they're to grow. He's praying that we would be walking according to the grant, the didomi, the gift. The gift strengthens us with power and inner man so that, here's the result of that empowering gift. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Faith, first part of the duet. To dwell doesn't mean to be converted. He's not saying that Christ would come into your heart, and heart is mind. The word is katakesai, and it means to settle down or be at home. We stayed in a very nice place at the Dells, but it wasn't home. And when you go on vacation, beds aren't quite right, pillows aren't quite right because we're old. When you get home, you find your bed and you ah, settle down. That's that word dwell. So the Christ may settle down in your hearts, first part of the duet, through faith. And that you, secondly, would be rooted and grounded in. Have I proven the case? If you're walking by grace, you walk in love. Oh, I'm loving. I love people. I love the lost. I love our church. I love believers. Do you? Number two in your note sheet. Legalism and licentious Christians are always supremely loveless and selfish. That's a good word, selfish. If you want to define a loveless Christian, they're selfish. I think we know what selfishness is, right? You can write under number two. Selfishness is me first. Me first. So that's just a general, very easy definition. Are you a selfish person? Is it all about you? What you want before God? Christians love to do this. Lord, you know I love you. That's Jesus' talk. What really he looks at is our life, starting with the heart. Ephesians 4, 13, 17, excuse me. Ephesians 3, 17, excuse me. Hearts through faith, rooted and grounded in love. So it's easy to say to God, we like to lie to God. Legalists and licentious Christians are liars. They like to lie to God. God is the one they really lie to. It's like they convince God. I've, I've heard Christians do this. Well, I, the Lord knows I love him. That's just a lie if we don't love him, if we're selfish. So selfishness is the general, over the whole ballpark evidence, a selfish person. Uh, you can look around church and you can say, are these people selfish? Is this person selfish? What conclusions could we draw if we know someone in family, friends, church people who we would say is selfish? What, what can we draw? Write it under number two. Selfish equals they're legalists or licentious. Selfish means they're not loving. Selfishness means they're legalists and licentiousness. They're licentious. Selfishness means they're not loving. Selfishness means they've stroked out. They're dead spiritually. A selfish Christian is dead spiritually. You can't grow while selfish. Can't. So if you know a selfish me-first believer in our church or anywhere who claims to be a believer, you know that believer has had a spiritual stroke already. Selfishness is the overwhelming, defining evidence of loveless, legalistic, licentious Christians. And I would put to you that our churches are made up overwhelmingly with selfish people. My way or the highway, I know what this church should be doing. Such a person's already stroked. Can you, can you see the selfish Christian? Look, look, they're on the bench. Head is falling. Boom! Hits the keyboard. Boom! Onto the floor. That fast. Selfishness. That's a major spiritual stroke. There should be no selfishness as the testimony of any believer. Well, I'm not selfish. Sure. Okay. Sure. Let's just convince ourselves that we're loving. 
I, I, I love the Lord. I love others. I, I love Jesus. Okay, keep lying, if that's the case, if we're lying. Let's check out the evidence. There's nine of them. I'm going to give them to you all right now. Major evidence is a believer is stroking out, is not walking by grace, is legalistic and licentious, is selfish. All the same, stroking out, dead spiritually, same as legalistic, licentious, same as not walking by grace, same as, as, as being selfish. Number one, permanent Bible ignorance. Permanent Bible ignorance. Oh my goodness, <laughs> this is a hurricane that just wipes out I frankly have to say most of the people in our church here and in the body of Christ today. That's how heresy just, just is a forest fire through the church today is because permanent Bible ignorance. Write down John 14. You can read that for yourself. If you love me, you know and keep my commandments. Bible ignorance means I hate God. Well, I just can't study. I don't have what it takes. Yeah, that's a legalist who says that. You don't have any power. You don't have any ability whatsoever from God to study and know and obey the word. Sure. Legalistic, licentious, selfish, not walking by grace. Number two, non-existent or worldly prayer life. Number two, non-existent or worldly prayer life, and that includes corporate prayer. God and I are not going to take any of that guff, as my Scottish dad would say, guff. We're not going to take anything from anyone who tells us that I love God and I pray, but I don't have to be in a prayer meeting. Okay, sure. Lie to God, lie to yourself. Whatever. James 4 says, they pray to spend it on their own lusts. Non-existent and worldly prayer life. That shipwrecks most everything else. Okay, so why is it Bible-believing churches, when you look them up on the website, don't even have a prayer service? Guess why? The believers are what? Legalistic, licentious, not walking by grace, selfish individuals. Dead. Can you just see the church? A church with no prayer meeting. Can you just see the church's head? Boom! Keyboard onto the floor, dead. Number three, growing carnality and lawlessness. Growing carnality and lawlessness. Matthew 24, 12 says the last day's church will be marked by those who are lawless and unloving. Well, it makes sense if I don't know the Bible, number one. I'm certainly going to be lawless, number two, carnality. 1 John 2, 5, look at that one. Just very quickly, 1 John 2, 5. So now it starts to add up. You can judge scripturally, can't you? If you run into Christians here or anywhere and they're ignorant of the Bible, what are they? Legalistic, licentious, unloving, selfish, not walking by grace. There you go. Prayer life non-existent. You know Christians who pray worldly prayers or never show up at a prayer meeting in our church or anyone else. What are they? Legalistic, licentious, lawless, unloving, selfish, not walking by grace. This is biblical judging. And look at 1 John 2.5. Whoever keeps his word, keeps it, doesn't know Bible facts, 1 John 2.5, whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God, has been truly perfected or matured. By this we know that we are in him. Lawlessness is refusal to keep the word. Number four, refusal to serve Christ with one's gifts and a rejection of God's will for one's life. Number four, it's becoming very easy to tell then who is selfish, legalistic, lawless, licentious, unloving, not walking by grace. Well, how? Just look around. Who are the come, sit, listen, and leave Christians? Boom! There you go. Hebrews 10.24, turn over there. Hebrews 10.24, very plain. Love and service, love and service go together. If I don't serve the church, I am legalistic, lawless, licentious, selfish, Walking by lovelessness, not walking by grace. I've stroked out. I'm dead, spiritually. Verse 24, Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider, this is a command, how to stimulate one another to what? Love and good deeds. Come sit, listen, and leave. Uh-uh. Good deeds is worth serving with our gifts. Number five, nepotism. Ever heard that word? M-E-P-O-T-I-S-M, nepotism. 
that's playing favorites at church based on race or family. Racism or family first. That's what nepotism is. Let me tell you something. I was on the Illinois Bible Church mission board years ago for years. We had to go constantly into Bible churches and find out at the root of the problem why they were dying. Nine out of ten times it was nepotism. This is the church killer. My family first, my ways first, what we want goes, this is the way it's going to be. You get these little Napoleons in churches of 40 or 30, and they're not letting go of power. My family ruled this church since 1930, and no one's going to tell us what to do. And what they do is they run out one pastor after another, boom, 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 boom. Nepotism. Family first. Whenever we put family or racism ahead of the body of Christ, we are lawless, loveless, licentious, not walking by grace, and selfish, stroke-killing Christians. You know Christ said that repeatedly. Mark 10, 37, Mark 19, 29, Mark 10, 29 to 30. These are continuously mentioned by Christ if anyone does not leave family to serve others. If anyone puts father, mother, sister, brother ahead of me in my kingdom, they're not even believers. Mark 10, 30, Matthew 10, 37, Matthew 19, 29, Mark 10, 29, and 30. So look around our church or anywhere else. Who's playing favorites? Who puts family ahead of everything else? Hmm. Number six, relational breakdown among believers. Relational breakdown among believers. Church factions and fighting. James 4 again, just like we saw with number 2 in verses 1 and 2. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Lusting, licentious, legalistic, not walking by grace, selfish believers are lust-filled maniacs in the church. And it's all about them, nepotism number 5, selfish and it destroys everything. Why is the divorce rate the same in churches as it is in society? Why have the divorce criteria been liberalized over the last 40 years from no grounds to anything? If my spouse burns the food on Father's Day lunch, I can divorce them. Why has the church followed into a liberal divorce position because of legalism, licentiousness, lawlessness, not walking by grace? Number seven, lying, slander, and gossip. We've all lied, we've all slandered, and we all gossip. We're not talking about committing these sins and then repenting. We're talking about individuals who don't even know they're lying, or they know they are and never repent. Lying, slander, and gossip. Lying, slander, and gossip. Lying is the number one trait of a selfish individual, by the way, I think. It's an abomination. I find... Personally, my experience is Christians are more liars than truth-tellers. They have all these excuses and reasons for why they are doing or not doing what they're doing. They don't see it. They've stroked out. They're dead men and women walking. Truth and love are partners, folks. Lying and hate are partners. Write it down under number seven. Truth and love are partners. Lying and hate are partners. You can read this yourself. Psalm 85, verses 10 to 11. Check that, those two verses out. Truth and love have kissed together. They're partners. You cannot walk in truth. You cannot walk in truth. and be a hater. Back to number six. The reference for number six was James 4, verses 1 to 2. James 4, verses 1 to 2. Somebody asked me that. James 4, 1 to 2. Number seven, the reference is Psalm 85, 10 and 11, and then check out Psalm 89, 14. This is how heresy gets into the pulpit. Heresy is somebody pretending to be a Christian and they're just liars. They attack the Bible and they're liars. Heresies everywhere, from mission organizations to Bible schools to institutes to churches. Heresies everywhere. What is it? It's a form of lying, attacking the Word of God. Why? Because our churches are filled with heretics who are selfish, lawless, legalists, licentious, not walking by grace. Grace living is truth-telling. Church liars have long since stroked out. You know a Christian you can't trust? They always lie. Do you see it? Do you see their head? Boom! On the keyboard, onto the floor. They're dead. Apostates are marked by lying. A Christian who lies all the time and never repents is an apostate. 
Number eight, deteriorating church fellowship. This is axiomatic. That's a fancy word that means this is law. When you're a legalist and licentiousness and you're filled with those and you're not walking by grace, church becomes a burden. I don't want to be here anymore, but I know that I must. Legalists don't like church fellowship. Only loving believers like it. We endure it. Why have all the church services died? Where are the prayer meetings? Where are the evening services? Where are the Bible studies? It's all dead. Why are churches dumping their services? So we can be with family. That's what it, the number one reason pastors and churches are eliminating church services. So we can be with what? Family? Which one was that on your list? Number five. Yes. Hebrews 10.25 is a reference for number eight. Hebrews 10.25, deteriorating church fellowship. And last but certainly not least, number nine, rejection of the Great Commission and permanent ignorance of how to share the gospel. And this is where I mentioned earlier, Christians say, oh, I could never do that. I could never go door to door. I could never give the gospel out. Then you're a legalist. You're a licentious. You are walking in rebellion and lawlessness. You are unloving, and you are not walking by grace. If you can't share the gospel with someone after you've been saved, how would you even have assurance that you're saved? And the Great Commission is not optional. It's all of us that are going to all the world, as Mark tells us, and preach the gospel. And we're to love the unloving. That's what unconditional love is. We're not to hate the lost. We hate the lost when we don't evangelize. If you can't remember the last time you gave the full gospel out to anyone, you hate the lost. The reference for number nine is Luke 6.34, that we are to love our enemies, and there is no one greater than our enemy than the unsaved. Lack of evangelism means I hate the lost. The whole world is my enemy. I hate them. I'm not witnessing to them. Rejection of the Great Commission is a huge sin. So it's easy to tell if someone is unloving. It's easy to say, I love Jesus, but check out the nine. Permanent Bible ignorance, non-existent worldly prayer life, number two, refusal to serve with one's gifts, number four. Number three is, excuse me, number three is growing carnality and lawlessness. Number four, refusing to serve with one's gifts. Number five, nepotism, racism, and family first in churches. By the way, the racism ones, why all our churches have abandoned the cities and why Christians move out because they're racist. Why are they racist? Because they're nepotistic. They're legalists and lawless. Racism drives the church out of the cities. Why would we leave the church, leave the cities? Because we don't trust God for the dangers and we certainly don't like the color of the skin or the language that's around us, so we, we need to get out. That's number five. Relational breakdown in the church, fights, spouses, divorcing, raising children who are unbelievers, by the way. That's pandemic to number six. Relational breakdown means ignorant Christians who are legalistic and licentious have no idea how to raise children who are believers. Number seven, lying, slander, and gossip that is hardened, willful, and continuous. Number eight, deteriorating church fellowship. Uh, I guess i got to go to church today. And it just is a dropout syndrome that we see going on. You know, you, you wonder why Zoom shipwrecked so many churches during the plague? Churches closed because people no longer came back. They just stayed on Zoom. Why? You can't fellowship on Zoom, by the way. You blank the screen black and you mute it. How are you ever going to fellowship with anyone at church? So how did Zoom wipe out all these churches? And I hear churches saying, well, we need to get rid of Zoom. That's ridiculous. That's legalism. Zoom isn't the problem. It's a good tool for someone who's sick or can't be here. Certainly, I, I'm all for that. Just like buying a CD if you weren't here and you want to listen to a sermon. That's great. When you can't be here, Zoom is great. But that's not what's happened in the church today. What's happened in the church today is Zoom was the way out, number eight there, from me having to go to church. It's pointless. Now I can do is just blank the screen, mute the sound, and I am tuned out in my own little room, and I'm listening, but I'm not part. Deteriorating church fellowship is, Zoom has wiped out the church because the church is legalistic and licentious. And these are the marks of being unloving. There are Christians who don't even understand why they need to attend church. They don't even understand that. And the gospel, well, number nine, we don't even know what the gospel is. Is it repentance? Is it not? Is it lordship? Is it not? Do I say Savior and Lord or just Savior? Who knows? Maybe all, maybe none. Beats me. Why witness? 
I think these things can be easily observed in others, both in our church and in the church today, a wider context, don't you? Could, could we basically look around at each other and analyze these nine first with ourselves and then with each other? Could we do that? I think we could do that, right? We're in a small enough church, we know each other, right? Can't hide devastating sins like legalism and licentiousness. Grace and love killers. That's what they are. If you see believers marked by these things, you have your answer. If you see yourself marked by any of these things, you have your answer. We are profound legalists. We are licentious. We're loveless. God's grace is not working in our lives if these marks are there and we are blind to it and say to ourselves at this list of nine, no way that's not me. God is the judge. He will draw us up before him one day and he can't be conned by our sweet-talking Jesus verbiage which we tell others to convince them that we really love the Lord. Oh, that there was a legalistic and licentious believer in a church who stood up and said, I am selfish and lawless, unloving, legalistic and licentious. I'm shipwrecked and dead spiritually. Somebody pray for me. Never once does that happen. Never. It's all about the appearance and making sure we look good. Well, the appearance isn't going to work before the judgment seat of God one day. He'll see right into the heart. Thank you, God, for your word. It is a sword that pierces. It's meant to devastate, convict, confront, and then humble and cause repentance. Have mercy on our minds. Open our blind eyes. May the word of God do its powerful work in us. For your glory and honor, in Jesus' name, amen.